0: Sunday, happy Valentine's Day. My name is Clara and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. We're so glad that you're able to join us today. Uh, for those of you that are joining us for the first time, we want to meet you and hopefully answer some questions you might have. One of the ways we do that is by inviting you to meet with Pastor Eric uh, through a sign up that we do online. If you are joining us live through our church online, there's actually a button in the chat box and it'll take you straight there. A little note about the chat box, feel free to use it throughout the entirety of the worship because it's another tool that helps us to feel engaged and connected during worship. So as we get into our worship, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time where you gather us as one body, one church to worship you. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will be with us in this time. Uh, we pray against any distractions and things that will draw us away, but help us to be focused on you and your word. Would you speak through Pastor Eric so that the word of God will penetrate and lead us uh, into transformation? We thank you, and we love you, and we give you our worship today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's get ready to worship.
1: sound. I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe as he walks into the room where people pray.
0: Uh, welcome to church. My name is Clara and one of the pastors here at New Life. I just want to welcome anyone that's joining us for the first time. One of the ways our church celebrates newcomers is by donating $10 in your name to Frontline Foods. Frontline Foods is a nonprofit organization that helps small businesses struggling during a pandemic by donating food to our frontline workers. All you have to do is text NLFGIFT to 94090 and you'll receive a link to fill out a Next Steps card and a donation will be made in your name. Well today is the last day we're going to be spending in the Wonder of Wilderness series. I hope you enjoyed the series as much as I have. Pastor Eric will be speaking on Numbers 20 and what it means to make tough decisions during difficult times. I I think we're going to be learning a lot through today's sermon. Starting next week, we're going to begin a new series called I Am for seven weeks. Uh, Throughout history, many people said different things about Jesus, but what did Jesus say about himself? Who is he, really? So for these next seven weeks, we're going to be diving in to take a deeper look at the real Jesus. I want to invite you and maybe ask you to invite some of your friends or families or neighbors who might want to listen to this and learn a little more about Jesus. We have a short bumper video that shares a little more information about this. Well, I'm so excited for this series to begin and I hope you don't miss it. Well, just like any series uh, kickoff, we have a fun gift to share with you. And this time around, (gasps) it's a vacuum. Some of you might be wondering, why a vacuum? But let me ask you this, why not a vacuum? A vacuum's cool, isn't it? Everyone needs one. Well, let's find out how powerful this vacuum is. Uh, In the meantime, if you can go ahead and say hello to one another in the chat box, and if there's someone you're thinking about at this time, go ahead and send them a text and let them know you're on their mind. All right, let's begin. So, can this vacuum suck these objects? We're gonna see, for instance, this vacuum, can this vacuum suck this Bible? Okay, it can't because the Bible doesn't suck. So we're going to put this aside. But out of these objects, let's see how powerful it is. All right. Two settings. Oh, yeah. The cylinder. How about this car? Oh, ho-ho. okay. We're going to move on to the harder objects. About this candy. Oh, ho-ho. okay. This one passes. Now, onto this bag of straws. Yes! Okay, this is really good. How about this table? What do you think? Let's go. Uh, Oh, yeah! Man, this is nice. All right, this is the last test. Let's see if this can pick up the sign. All right. All right, folks, we have it. Can pick up the sign. Don't park where you're not supposed to, okay? <laughs> uh, and then, uh, I have announcements. I don't remember what the announcements are, Joe. Uh. All right. Well, I have a couple announcements for everyone. Uh, First is I want to thank everyone who participated in the kinship connection through giving of the love box. We have 40 box signups, so that's awesome. We get to give away 40 boxes to families and support them and share our love with them. Second, uh, bridge groups are starting again. It will begin today at 2.30 for four weeks. If you've been a part of our community or you're new and you're not quite ready to plug into a CG, this is your chance to get to know us a little better and get to meet some of the people in our church. Uh, Sign-ups will be on the website or if you're joining us online, uh, you could just click on the button that you find. Our third and final announcement is regarding the search committee meeting coming up on February 28th at 5 p.m. This will be the last meeting between the committee and our congregation and they will be sharing their final report regarding our candidate for lead pastor, Pastor Eric. Uh, If you haven't already done so, please sign up for our New Life newsletter and there should be a link to the Zoom meeting there. Well, here in New Life, we like to highlight different things going on in our ministry and one of the areas that we might not know about is our New Life Kids. So Pastor Kenny is going to take us behind the scenes to take a look at what happens at New Life Kids.
2: Hey Church, Pastor Kenny here. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we got to show you uh, the behind the scenes for uh, just uh, what's happening at church right now. Uh, But we didn't get to show what's happening in our kids' ministry and so today, uh, we wanted to do a really quick tour of of our kids' ministry and kind of all that's going on. Uh, I'm wearing a mask right now because if you see, we have some people working right now. (laughs) You can say hi and they know we're filming. This is the this is the furnace of our ministry. But uh, we're gonna go this way. And we're gonna check out the rooms. Ah. This way, oh too fast. All right, so we have we have a few rooms open for you guys. Uh, this is our main uh, New Life Kids room, and so. So this is our main uh, New Life Kids room. And so uh, it's not this crazy. So when we do open up, this is where the kids will be uh, worshiping. But we use it as like a secondary worship studio space right now. And so Pastor Jen and the worship team are just uh, doing some uh, practice rehearsals, socially distanced with the doors open. Um, Other than that, I mean, this room's kind of crazy. I guess we have this right here, which uh, we like to go fancy with the cylinder blocks. But I think this used to be a like a prayer and meditation station uh, for the kids. But we all know what that means. Uh, well, over here uh, is, well, this is our, I guess it's kind of a storage. Everything's just kind of storage now. I think they actually use the drum set here because it's really loud when they're practicing. Um, there isn't too much to show here. They're, I guess like right here. This is actually all, if you remember, we had a drive-in service, so we kind of stored everything uh, here. Um, and a fun little fact is we, we actually got like double the order of cones by accident for Amazon for free. And so that's why we have like 50 cones right here. We don't really need it. But uh, let me show you something else. Oh, 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 oh. Hello. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. All right. Yeah, they're right this way. Let's see what else is going on. I think Jane, one of our volunteers. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hello. This is, <laughs> hey, this is uh, Jane. She's one of our volunteers, and she is preparing crafts right now. I think this is her first time that she's uh, doing crafts for our new life kids, but she has served for a long time. How long have you served for? Uh, I've been serving
3: since August of last year.
2: Okay, okay. so a lot of you guys might not have seen her, especially if you don't watch uh, the New Life Kids, but she has been here uh, for some time. Can you just answer like, what's it like serving here? And like, why do you serve right now?
3: Yeah, so uh, I decided to serve for New Life Kids because for one, I wanted to just get more connected with uh, the church. And I think for me personally, growing up in the church, I still remember every single one of my teachers who really love me and poured out, you know, and to me. And I think it's just super important for kids to have a good role model in their lives that um, are really gospel-centered and can teach properly what Jesus' love looks like. And so it's kind of, you know, it's not as ideal because everything is happening on Zoom right now, But I'd say it's still a lot of fun to engage with the kids. You know, we get to have small group discussions to review the sermons. And I'd say it's like just a really fun time to uh, start off the week and get to see all the kids um, be so eager to talk about Jesus and His love. So Hmm. yeah, it's definitely a great experience so far. (laughs) Well, uh,
2: well, thanks so much for serving and um, yeah, also for like sharing like uh, just kind of why you're serving and what you've kind of been doing. We're so appreciative and, uh, you know, not everyone gets to see what you do, but we're so thankful. And so, well, uh, church, we wanted to share and show a little bit more about our New Life Kids ministry uh, because, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic and you guys don't really see what's going on. Uh, But we want to continue to uh, minister to our kids and to pray for our kids. And one of the things that we've been convicted of is to pray for the salvation uh, of our kids. So as we prepare our hearts uh, to hear the message, uh, what I want you to do right now is to pray for uh, our kids. And if you have kids of your own, I actually encourage you to pull them aside right now to pray for them. Uh, Just pray for their salvation. Pray for their faith. Uh, Let's prepare our hearts and let's pray.
4: Good morning, New Life Fellowship. It is so good to be here with you this morning, worshiping with you. Uh, If you're new here, I just want to give you a big hearty hello and welcome. Uh, My name is Eric No, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I have the privilege of giving you God's word this morning. Uh, Well, again, if you are new, we want to welcome you, and please do sign up for our newcomer Zoom meeting. Uh, We just made some adjustments to it, and so uh, if you go to the uh, sign-up form, what you'll notice is you can pick uh, select days or times, and uh, I'll get back to you and solidify those dates, but what, what that newcomer Zoom meeting is really a meeting between you and me, uh, a very personal uh, meeting where I get to learn more about you and you get to learn more about our church if you have any questions. Uh, I'll probably bring one other pastoral staff with me, but um, really this is a time where you get to know me and I get to really know you. So please do sign up for that because I would love, love, love to meet you. Uh, well, right off the top, uh, I just want to thank everyone for their generosity. Thank you so much, for all that you do for our church. Uh, If you don't know, last year, uh, well every year we set a budget and last year we went above and beyond that because of your generosity. And so because of your generosity from last year, what we did this year is we decided to expand our budget just a bit to really match your generosity. And so we just want to thank you for giving, uh, for continuously sacrificing for this church. We have really, really big plans for this year and I'd like to share one of them with you. Uh, One of them is our 40 day campaign. Uh, Normally in the history, history of New Life Fellowship, we usually start the 40-day campaign in just a few weeks. Uh, But this time around, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing the 40-day campaign after Easter. Uh, historically, we've done it during the season of Lent, which are the 40 days preceding Easter, but this time we'll be doing it preceding Easter. Uh, and our 40 day campaign, I'm really excited about this is it's going to be called the Ascension. And our Easter sermon will not only conclude the I am series, but it will also launch us into this new series called the Ascension, and we're going to be studying the 40 days. The 40 days after Jesus rose again from the dead. And what we want to do specifically is really make the case that Jesus is alive and He's well. That Jesus is real, that Jesus is not a figment of some person's imagination, but rather he died and he rose again. And so what we're asking from you Christians, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you consider New Life Fellowship your home, begin praying and identifying a person in your life that you want to begin inviting out to church during that series. Again, you have a few months out Easter's in April, and we're going to be starting the series after April, but begin that process now. Really begin identifying and praying for somebody in your life that you want to invite out to church once again. Maybe it's somebody who simply left church because they were lazy. Maybe it's somebody who left church because of doubts and confusion. Whatever the case is, begin praying and identifying someone in your life that you want to start inviting out to church because, friends, we don't want to be an insular church because an insular church is, guess what, a selfish church. Uh, If you ever see somebody who only thinks about themselves, well, guess what? You'd call that person a selfish uh, person. And in the same way, if there's a church that only thinks about their members only, they're a selfish church, and we don't want to be a selfish church. We want to be a church that reaches out and extends the love and grace and and the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. And so that's, I'm so excited for that. I know I'm getting ahead of myself because it's way out there, but uh, it'll come upon us soon. I'm telling you, uh, time moves so, so quickly here uh, in pandemic mode. So uh, please go ahead and and prepare your hearts and begin thinking about those people. Uh, Well, Let's go ahead and dive into our sermon for today. Uh, We're finishing off our sermon series in the Wonder of Wilderness. I'm so, so excited for this last sermon and we'll be studying Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 to 13. All right, Numbers chapter 20, uh, verses 1 to 13. Uh, And if you're able at this time, would you rise as we read God's word together? Uh, I'll read from the English standard version. So if you have that version uh, of the Bible on your tablets, phone, or even in book form, uh, go ahead and bring those out. If not, it'll be right up there on the screen for you. Uh, I'll read this for us, I'll pray for us, and then I'll seat you after the prayer. Uh, Let's go ahead and read Numbers chapter 20. This is the reading of God's word. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now, there was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord! Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take The staff, and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for these words that were preserved in scripture for us. And Holy Spirit, we do ask now that you would give me strength and you would give me your Holy Spirit to really speak truth, not my own truth, uh, not the culture's truth, but your truth and your truth alone. And Holy Spirit, would you give us as a congregation the ears to hear the minds to perceive, and the wills to understand and turn from our ways and to turn towards you, O Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated right there at home. Well, have you ever had one of those days that have just gone horribly, horribly wrong and horrible thing happens after horrible thing, event after event, and the badness of the day gets even worse? Have you ever had one of those days? Uh, Well, for me, for example, I I had one of those days very recently, uh, right before the holiday season back in 2020, in December, Uh, I remember driving my car around and all of a sudden, uh, all of the gadgets and gizmos in my car started malfunctioning. The speedometer stopped working, Uh, all of my lights started flashing, and so I decided to take my car into the dealership, which I did, uh, because I knew I still had a warranty, but I called the dealership to make sure the warranty was still good, and they said it was good, so I took it in, and when I dropped it off, I didn't think I would have to pay a single dime since all of it should be covered under warranty. I go home, I have to rearrange my schedule now because this, this thing has been you know, taking up some of my time. I have to cancel some of my meetings. Meanwhile, I have to ask my wife to kind of rearrange her schedule to come pick me up uh, from the dealership. And so we do that, but then when she comes, we get into a little bit of an argument and a little bit of a dispute because of having to rearrange our schedules and we're kind of stressed out now. Well, the day progresses, we go back home, I cancel some of my meetings, I move things around, and then I get a phone call from the dealership. And the dealership says this, oh, actually, you know what? Your warranty's not gonna cover the the repairs because uh, all of the stuff that's happening is because a mouse went into your car and we can see it from the evidence that it chewed some of your wires and so it's not covered under warranty. And then more stress. And so I start to argue with him a little bit. I start to say, hey, why You know, why didn't you let me know this stuff, right? And so whatever, I let it go, I try to move on with my day. Uh, and then I start noticing things, right? The house is such a mess, like why? And you know, in those moments of stress, you, you start noticing all these things. Why is the house a mess? Why is there so much work to be done? And then more stress, right? And then the dealership calls me back and they say, guess what, the repairs are gonna cost you $500. And then I get into an argument with the dealership because of this and that. And so I start arguing back and forth and I start calling other friends to see if they're scamming me or ripping me off and then I start like arguing with my wife even more because I'm stressed out and then my kids come home and they start driving me crazy and then I start yelling at my kids because I'm stressed out and I start doing all of these things and it's a horrible 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 day that goes from one darkness to another to another to another (sighs) and all this is say sometimes darkness leads to more darkness. Chaos leads to more chaos. Stress leads to more stress. Anxiety leads to more anxiety. And here's the reason why darkness begets more darkness. It's because in darkness we make decisions that then lead us into further darkness. It really comes down to our choices that we make during these times of difficulty. See, our decisions can either bring us back into the light or our decisions can drive us deeper into the darkness. And so with that said, I have three points as I normally do. Our first point is simply this, disobedience, disobedience. Sometimes we can choose obedience or disobedience. My second point is called blame. Uh, Sometimes we can blame God or not blame God. And then our last and final point is mercy. So disobedience, uh, blame, and then mercy. So let's go ahead and dive into our first point, disobedience. Numbers chapter 20, I, I implore you to go read the whole thing. But Numbers chapter 20 feels like this really, really long, horrible day. The chapter starts off from the very beginning with Miriam's death and you have to understand that this was a horrible, horrible thing for Moses. You have to understand Miriam was there in the book of Exodus taking care of Moses even though he went down the stream, she's the one that really raised Moses up. Even when Moses uh, Miriam kind of you know stands up against Moses and is punished for that, it's Moses who intercedes on her behalf because he loves her, he cares about her deeply. And so you have to understand the death of Miriam is not only a big impact, to the Israelite community, but it really, really probably hurt Moses very deeply. In addition, later on, in, when we come to our passage, the people of Israel begin complaining. And then Moses disobeys God in the midst of this darkness. And then Moses is punished for this. And then later on in chapter 20, you'll see that they, they, they come across, they're wandering in the wilderness, they're getting tired, and they come across their brother nation, Edom. I've spoken about Edom before, how they're a brother nation of Israel. They come to Edom and they say, hey, like, can we stay here for a bit? Like, we're really tired. We'd like to rest and feed our cattle and all this stuff. And Edom comes out with their army and basically says, don't you dare come in or else we will attack you. And so the Israelites have to go all the way around Edom, continuously wandering in the hot desert sun. And then finally, at the end of chapter 20, Aaron dies So at the beginning of chapter 20, Moses' sister dies. At the end of chapter 20, Moses' brother dies. And him too, Aaron, he loved and the Israelite community loved. Uh, As I mentioned last week, he's basically second in command. He he was a huge figure in the Israelite community and he dies. And as I said, this is just one thing after uh, after another. Numbers chapter 20 is just a really, really bad day. And again, in the middle of this passage, in the middle of chapter 20 is where we jump in to where we see Moses making poor, poor decisions. Moses, in fact, makes the worst decision of his life. He decides to disobey God rather than to obey God, and this is why both Moses and Aaron are punished. It's because the darkness begins, they make poor choices that then lead them into further darkness. I want you to look at verse seven with me. It says this, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, and I want you to underline these three words, okay? Take, okay? Take the staff and then he says, assemble, I want you to underline assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell, I want you to underline tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water, okay? Take, assemble, tell. These are three verbs that God commands Moses to do, okay? Usually in the book of Numbers, right after he gives the three verbs, usually Moses does the three verbs, verbatim. But look at what happens here. I want you to look at verse 9 to 11. And Moses took, I want you to underline, took the staff from before the Lord. So he's making the right choices now. He's obeying God where he took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Uh, verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. Okay, so he ends up doing that. He obeys God, gathered the assembly before the rock. I want you to underline gathered. And he said to the rock, no, he said to them, the Israelites, the Israelites, and here's where Moses begins his disobedience. He doesn't speak to the rock. He speaks to the people. And listen to what he says to the people. Hear now, you rebels. That word rebels is a derogatory term in the Hebrew. Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck. That's another verb. I want you to underline. He struck the rock with his staff twice. You see, God commands him to do three things. Moses ends up doing five things. He takes the staff, he assembles, but then he scolds the congregation and then he strikes the rock twice, not just once, but twice. Do you see what Moses did there in the midst of darkness? He deliberately decides to disobey the Lord. Instead of speaking to the rock, he yelled at the people and he strikes the rock twice. And friends, this is why darkness begets more darkness. This is why chaos breeds more chaos. It's because of our decision-making. During tough seasons of life, it is difficult to remain obedient to God. And yet this is the time where we need to obey God the most. See, when your business is tanking, it seems like a really, really nice time to begin cheating on your taxes. When you have too much to do as a student and too little time, it seems like a really, really good time to turn to prescription drugs to help you to focus and concentrate at different new levels. Right? When you have too much stress, it becomes easier to make the choice to get drunk and to hide and to escape your stress. When you have too much anxiety, you might be tempted to shop more uh, and, to, and to put more debt onto your credit card. And yet these choices will lead you to more darkness. Right? Not only is your business tanking now, but now you've become a thief stealing from the government. You're no longer just busy and overwhelmed student. You are now an addicted student to these prescription drugs. You are no longer just stressed out as a person, but now you are an addicted, stressed out person. Uh, You are no longer just anxious, but you are in debt and even more anxious than when you began. Darkness begets more darkness. And my question to you is this. As the vaccines begin to roll out and as we as a nation, as, as a world really, begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel of this pandemic, we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? The, the cases are going down and we're praying that the cases continuously go down. We're starting to see this. Now, here's the question that I have for you. Did you make decisions in this pandemic that maybe had monumental, lifelong consequences that you will regret? During this time of darkness, did you beget more darkness because of your decisions, or did you make choices that brought life and light into your life? Did this time of chaos beget more chaos? Did the isolation beget more isolation? Do you hear what I'm saying? Uh, You know, David Brooks, he's an author. He wrote The Road to Character and uh, uh, The Second Mountain. He wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times at the very beginning of this pandemic. And it's really interesting what he argues for. He basically says this in March of 2020, right when the pandemic starts. He says, look, a lot of people don't remember this plague called the 1918 Spanish flu. Everyone forgot about it until now. And he says, here's the reason why. It's because people didn't like who they became during the 1918 Spanish flu. They didn't like who they became. Listen to what he says. He says, this explains one of the puzzling features of the 1918 pandemic. When it was over, people didn't talk about it. I had never heard of the Spanish flu. I had never heard of the pandemic of 1918. And he says this, perhaps it's because people didn't like who they had become. Perhaps it's because people didn't like who they had become. Listen to how he ends the article. Maybe this time. We'll learn from their example. You know, at the very beginning of this pandemic, we saw a lot of altruism. We saw a lot of people giving generously and trying to do their best. And yet, what happened during the middle of this pandemic? We had uh, 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 lots of violence throughout the year. We had people hoarding. We had other people uh, looking out for themselves. And I'm asking you this question. Did you make good decisions during this pandemic or did you make poor decisions? Because we all make decisions every second and every minute of every day and the right decisions become very very difficult during difficult seasons. The right decisions become incredibly difficult during difficult seasons and this is why yes decisions uh, decisions always matter and they matter when it's times of good but it matters all the more during times of dark because they are so much harder to make good decisions during difficult seasons. You know, in his book, The Color of Compromise, Jamar Tisby, uh, he's a a pastor and author and historian. He walks Christians and listeners through the history and the journey of the Christian church and its theology from the slave era uh, all the way up until Jim Crow laws and into modern day. And what he basically makes the case for is this. Throughout the church's history and life, the church could have made better decisions. The church could have made better decisions to actually end the practice of slavery, to end racism in America. And yet the church decided to not only build theology that protected the practice of slavery and racism, but the church also turned the blind eye in complicity towards racism. And he says throughout, and he makes a case for this, and he shows direct times where there were paths where they could have chosen left or right, but they chose to go the opposite way to which God had called them to. And look, mind you, Jamar Tisby is not, uh, you know, Jamar Tisby is a conservative Christian who loves Jesus. If you ever hear his testimony, he was converted uh, by reading John Piper's book, Desiring God. He's featured regularly on the Gospel Coalition. And he's a man who loves the church, who loves Jesus, and he's challenging the church to become better, to, 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 to let go of our racist tendencies and to begin loving one another as Christ himself loved the church. And so... One of the things that he mentions in this book are the bad decisions that some of our Christian heroes made in the past. And again, he says this not to, not to demean these people, not to cast judgment upon them, but to really reveal it to the light. Just as the Old Testament presents Moses as a sinner. Right, in our passage, Moses sinned, and yet it doesn't mean that we were, we're to do away with all of Moses. Right? King David and Bathsheba, right? King David cheats with Bathsheba, and he ends up killing Uriah, and yet we don't do away with all of King David. We still uh, learn from him, and we still know that he's a man after God's own heart, and yet at the same time, he, he brings up these certain historical figures within Christian history, and he shows some of their sin and some of their uh, decision-making in the past. And one of the people that he reveals is a guy by the name of George Whitfield. And if you don't know George Whitefield, he's a spiritual hero of mine. And George Whitefield was also one of the main figures responsible for something something called the Great Awakening. It was the great 18th century revival that happened right here in North America. And millions and millions of people converted to Christ because of the preaching of George Whitefield. In fact, before George Whitfield and the Great Awakening, uh, there weren't too many black Christians. It was actually because of the Great Awakening and because of the preaching of people like George Whitfield that then black, uh, a Christian, uh, 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 the black community began uh, becoming Christians and the black church really began from there. And yet, at the very beginning of George Whitfield's life, you see this in his writings. You see this in his writings that he begins to condemn slavery. Uh, Listen listen here, right? Uh, Listen to what Jamar Tisby writes. He says, He excoriated enslavers for their physical abuse of slaves, calling them monsters of barbarity. Whitfield was positive that it is sinful when bought to use them as though they were brutes. And so you see, this is at the very early beginnings of George Whitfield's writings and his sermons. He begins to decry and denounce slavery. And yet in 1738, George Whitfield ends up planting a nonprofit called the Bethesda Orphanage. And the orphanage actually does very poorly because of mismanagement and it's about to go out of business. And so during this time of darkness, George Whitfield makes a decision. Uh, In in that moment of darkness, uh, the hero of our faith turned to his wealthy allies who he had gained during his revivals. And he ends up purchasing a 640 acre plantation and along with it, his first slaves. And from there, we begin to see the theology of George Whitfield begin to protect and insulate the binding and the whippings of human beings. In fact, later he would petition political leaders in Georgia, and I quote from, from George Whitfield himself, Georgia can never be a flourishing province unless Negroes are employed as slaves. Look, I'm not saying that I'm a better person than George Whitfield. I'm not saying that. I think had I been living at that time, in that place, in that culture, I, I'm pretty sure I would have made the same decisions. And yet we have to take a look at this. If the greatest heroes of our faith, like somebody like George Whitfield, a godly man, can fail in his decision making during a dark time. If Moses, the prophet of God, can fail uh, in his decision making during times of darkness, then we can fail as well as well. You are not immune to this. And think again, you are not immune to bad decision-making during dark times. And friends, I'm asking you this question to reflect upon it. Are you making bad decisions during dark times? Are you making decisions that are obedient to our Lord and Savior? Let's move on to our second point, blame. Here's the second reason Moses is punished. He strikes the rock he strikes the rock. Now, the thing you have to understand about the Old Testament and of the New Testament is that God is very often referred to as a rock. Look, here's just a few quotations from the Psalms. Psalm eighteen two, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my, and my deliverer, my God, my rock. Psalm 31, 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? And you see over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God is the rock. And so here's what scholars believe is happening. Moses is not just striking the rock out of disobedience, but Moses is trying to strike God himself. Moses is so upset at God. He is so angry at God that he decides to take it out on the rock by striking it not just once, but twice And in fact, we see this pride that Moses had to strike God reveal itself in verse 10. Look at what Moses says in verse 10. He says, here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? When did you get power all of a sudden, Moses? When did you get all of it? Wasn't it always God's power? But do you see what Moses does? He says, we, I'm going to bring water out of this rock. Not God, I'm going to do it. I'm I'm good, I'm the best. And God, you know, how dare you? I'm going to strike you. Moses is puffed up with pride he thinks it's him who will provide the water not god and in essence he scolds god he blames god for all of his problems and all of his worries some scholars even suggest that perhaps Moses was was upset at god for the death of Miriam and this is why it's mentioned at the very beginning of chapter 20 and this look and this leads right during times of darkness, what, what ends up happening is we end up blaming God for all the darkness in our life. And this leads us to a further separation between us and God. Uh, and we blame God for the consequences of sometimes our own sins. Because as I mentioned, yes, it, it may be, right? I'm not saying all of our problems are due to poor decisions, but, but I, would, I would suggest that many times, right, we, something happens to us, something bad, but then along the way we begin to make poor decisions that lead us into deeper, darker places. And when we get to those really, really dark places, what we then do is turn to God and say, God, why? Why did you do this to me when all along it was your decisions that were causing all the darkness in your life? It's like this, like, let me give you a quick example. Imagine if I decide I'm going to eat ice cream, I'm going to eat fried chicken, I'm going to eat steak every single night. And I'm not going to care about anything that happens to my body. And I eat and I eat and I eat and I make all these poor decisions. And one day I get really, really huge, right? And my back starts to hurt. I start feeling very sluggish. I can't think well. My knees are hurting. Everything's hurting. And then I look to my wife and I said, wife, why did you cook me the fried chicken? Why did you buy the ice cream? Why did you uh, uh, cook the steak? Why? Why? That's all your fault. My wife would look at me and be like, you're crazy. It's your fault. You decided to eat. You decided to not care about yourself. You made those choices. And in the same way, this is what we do to God. We make these poor decisions that lead us into deeper darkness and then we turn back to God and we say, God, why? Look, I'm not saying all your problems are due to poor decision making, but I would, again, argue that a lot. A lot of them have to do with some of the poor decisions that we've made in the past. Why am I not getting my big break? Why am I sitting here without a promotion? Meanwhile, you're trying to escape your calling like we talked about last week all the time and you're not actually doing the work diligently right in front of you. You're not actually being a good worker. You're not actually working hard. And yet you keep wondering why you don't get the promotion, why you don't get the big break? Why don't I have friends? Why does everyone else have so many friends? Meanwhile, I have none. Meanwhile, you push anybody that wants to get close to you away or anytime somebody invites you out, you decide not to go because you think there's some ulterior motive for them inviting you out. So you end up not going. You end up pushing them away. And then you wonder why, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're isolated and all alone. Uh, why don't I have a better marriage? Meanwhile, you make all these poor decisions in your marriage to not be patient and kind and loving but mean and aggressive to your husband or to your wife. Why don't I have good kids? Meanwhile, you don't uh, give a second thought to parenting and you're hypocritical in your parenting. You see how a lot of times our where we end up is due to our own poor decision-making. And what we do in those moments is we turn to God, we strike God, and we blame Him. This leads us to our third and final point, mercy. You know, I hear this sentiment so often. Right? I don't like God of the Old Testament. He's wrathful, He's hateful, He like punishes people, but Jesus of the New Testament, He's so loving. He's like a shepherd. He leads you by still waters. He's awesome. He's wonderful. Why can't God be like that? Why does God have to be like this Old Testament wrathful God? And this is absolutely not True. And here in the story, we view the mercy and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of of God our Father. Look at this passage. At first glance, it seems like a horrible punishment for Moses. He ends up striking this rock. He ends up disobeying God. uh, and, And then he doesn't get to enter the promised land. Like, why such a harsh punishment? But if you think about it, what God does to Moses is quite merciful and gracious. In all of the rest of the stories, in God's punishments, it's usually swift and quick. God usually brings about the punishment right then and there. And yet for Moses, do you know when this punishment actually is enacted? It's, an, it's not enacted for another 48 chapters. <laughs> We're in Numbers chapter 20, right? Deuteronomy 33 is when Moses dies and is unable to enter the promised land. 48 chapters later is when this punishment is actually executed you see for all those years god is merciful to moses and he allows him to continue to lead his people he continues to allow him to live in addition god still delivers water to the people even though moses disobeys him even though moses strikes him even though the people are complaining and grumbling and crying out god gives them water He spews out water and he gives it to their livestock. He gives it to them and he provides for them even though they're rebellious. And lastly, if you read Numbers chapter 22 to 25, there's this little deviation that happens. Okay, it's all talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and then 22 to 25 begins to focus upon this guy named Balaam. And let me make a really, really long story short. Basically, the king of Moab wants Balaam to curse the people of Israelite, therefore killing them. And yet, what does God do? He prevents Balaam from doing this. In fact, he makes Balaam end up blessing the Israelites. Wow! He ends up uh, opening up the mouth of a donkey to stop Balaam from doing this horrible, horrendous thing to the Israelite people. You see, God is actually protecting the Israelites from things that, they're, that are even unseen to them. And God is doing this all behind the scenes, unbeknownst to the Israelites. This is how gracious and merciful and redeeming our God is, both in the New and in the Old Testaments. And look, in First Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 4, the Apostle Paul alludes that this rock that Moses strikes is even greater than what we had begun to think about. Look at what he says, uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, he's talking about the Israelites' fathers, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. He's talking about this time, uh, the Exodus time, this wilderness time. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And the rock was Christ. See, this passage is foreshadowing ultimately what Christ would do for us. You see, we were disobedient. We blame God. We made poor decisions. We did all of this stuff. It was our sins that struck the rock that was Christ. It was our sins that ultimately led to the punishment of our Lord and Savior. And yet even though the rock was struck, outflow- outflows from that rock living waters. And in John chapter 4, Jesus says, if we drink this water that comes out of the rock, we will have everlasting life. It's because His Uh, His heel was bruised. It's because he was struck for our iniquities. It's because he was pierced for our transgressions that now we get to drink life and life everlasting, friends. And this is who we worship, the God, our rock, our savior, our fortress, our everlasting hope and our everlasting life. And you see, friends, this rock that was ultimately struck by Moses was Jesus Christ himself. And even though we strike Jesus, Jesus Christ shows us mercy and grace abundantly. From him pours out spiritual water so that we can drink and have everlasting life because Christ will have satisfied us. See, here's the reason why you make poor decisions, friends. You make poor decisions because you aren't satisfied with your life. Look, why do people make poor decisions to cheat on their spouse? It's because they aren't satisfied with their marriages. Why do people cheat and steal? It's because they aren't satisfied. Why do people take performance-enhancing drugs it's because, or, or get drunk and hide? It's because they aren't satisfied. And they're either trying to take control of their lives or they're trying to run away from their lives. You make poor decisions because you're not satisfied. And yet Christ tells you now, look, I am that rock. I I was struck for your sins and yet because I was struck the waters of life flow out of me and if you drink of this water you will thirst no more you guys remember John chapter 4 we read this a few weeks ago in our Bible reading plan and I hope you've been reading the Bible with us through the gospel of Luke and through the gospel of John for the last 45 days or so but in John chapter 4 what does Jesus say there he's talking to a Samaritan woman who's made poor decision after poor decision after poor decision she's married five guys now and the guy that she's living with is not even her husband and yet what does what does jesus say to her he says this in verse 14 of john chapter 4 he says but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty again the water that i will give him will become in, in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life and do you know what happens to this woman after jesus preaches this sermon to her She doesn't go back to making poor decisions. Guess what she does? She runs into the village and she says, come and see for I've met the Messiah. And he's told me things about myself that I would have never known. He satisfied me. There was this hole in my heart that I was trying to find by, by filling it with men after men after men. And yet now I found Christ and he satisfies me. And because of this, I don't need anything else in this life except for him and him alone. Christian, are you satisfied in Christ? Do you want Christ or do you want Christ plus something else? Because if you want Christ plus something else, I'm telling you that's called the false gospel. Christ should be all that you need. Christ should be the only thing that you need. Christ should satisfy and fill up your souls. And you should not want or be discontent with anything in this life. And friends, if you are satisfied, I'm telling you, satisfied people make really, really good decisions. Because they're not striving and reaching after things that are not theirs, but they're content with where God has called them. And look, if you're not a Christian today, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you're worshiping with us today. And friends, if you are seeking, I want to welcome you. And and, and, and are you like this woman at the well? Are you like her where you've made, been making poor decision after poor decision after poor decision? And perhaps this is why you're here today. It's because somebody invited you out to church because you realize that your life is not going where you thought it was. It should be going. And your decisions have led you to a place of complete and utter darkness then hear this sermon friends the reason why you made those poor decisions friends is really because your heart has been longing for something it never knew and that is Christ Jesus the reason why you made those poor decisions because all along what you wanted was something to fill your hearts something to give you meaning and satisfaction that the world can never offer you and that is in Christ Jesus friends and I'm telling you if you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior the scriptures tell us that you're drinking from the wells of Christ And that your hearts will be full and utterly satisfied and you can live as did the Samaritan woman. And friends, I know, I know you made a lot of mistakes in your path and and maybe you, you will feel some of the consequences of those decisions later on in life. But know this, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you repent of your wrong decisions and you turn to Christ, guess what you will find? You will not find condemnation. You will not find the Lord standing over you and saying, look at what you've done with your life. No, what you will find is Jesus Christ, arms open wide, saying, I love you and I forgive you. And let my blood that was shed upon a cross cleanse you of your sins and lead you now to making better decisions in your life. Friends, this is the moment now. You have a choice to make, to end the darkness or to continue into the darkness. And friends, that choice here is before you today. Receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. And friends, I'm telling you, this is the beginning to better decision-making. Why? Because you will be utterly satisfied in Christ Jesus. And if that's you today, if you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, please click on that I Commit My Life to Jesus button. We want to start praying and walking with you. And if you have the courage, please let us know who you are. We would, really start to, we would really love to walk and disciple you and pray for you as you begin this new journey with Christ. Amen. Let's go ahead and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, we were all spiritually thirsty and we were all seeking something outside of ourselves. And Lord, for some of us in this place, whether Christian or non-Christian, we made poor, poor decisions. And these decisions, Lord, led to an even greater darkness in our life. And Lord, I pray right now that we would confess our sins before you, Lord. We bring our bad decisions, our disobedience before you. And Lord, we say, God, would you help us once again? Would you give us the strength to repent? Would you give us the strength to bear the hard truths about our lives? But Lord, to ultimately turn to you in obedience. And so Lord, we pray that you give us strength to be obedient during the dark times. And Lord, if there is somebody in this place right now, God, who has a, who's in the midst of darkness, God, and is confronted with, with either a good decision or a bad decision, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would give them strength right now to stay true to the course, to remain obedient to you, Lord, to make the right decisions, even though they're hard at this time, Lord. And Lord, I pray that for the non-Christian that received you today, I pray that you would begin this new journey with them, giving them hope, joy, and life, Lord, as they begin this new journey with you. Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, I love this time because now we're going to get to partake in communion, which is, in essence, the gospel itself. And so at this time, what I'll do is I'll give you about 30 to uh, seconds to a minute to prepare the elements, and then I'll meet you right back here. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, Friends, I'm so, so glad that we get to take communion today on this message because what the bread and the wine symbolize are the body and the blood of Christ. And what this symbolizes is a meal. And what does a meal do? It fills you up and it satisfies you. And in the same way, this is what Christ does for us. His death on the cross, His blood spilled for you fills us up and satisfies us like a good meal. And so, as we take this, remember that you're not just taking these elements for what they are, what they appear to be, which is bread and juice or bread and wine. But, friends, what you're doing now is a very, very spiritual. That you're taking in the very spiritual presence of Christ Himself into your bodies and remembering the sacrifice and the blood spilled for you on that cross. If you're not a believer here today and you're still seeking, and maybe this message got you thinking more and more, we're so glad that you're here. And please continue to walk with us uh, in these next few weeks. Uh, But if you're not a believer, please refrain from partaking in communion during this time. And the reason why we ask you to do this is not because we think we're better than you, Uh, it has nothing to do with that. It simply is simply because of this. Uh, We believe in something uh, that we believe internally in something that we want to now experience externally. And so this is why we take it as Christians. And so we just ask that you refrain from partaking in the elements right now. But if you're here and you just became a Christian and you just gave your life to Christ, please partake with us. If you're here and you've been uh, estranged from the church and, uh, and maybe you've been suffering and doing different things and you haven't been living your life the way Christ has wanted you, but you still believe in Christ, please partake Because this is the very thing that your heart and your soul has been craving after all along. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So friends, let's take the bread. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the body of Christ. then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins the blood of Christ let me go ahead and pray for us father we're so thankful for your son Jesus Christ so thankful that you gave us the institution of communion God, we partake in it today with grateful and joyful hearts, Lord, knowing that none of this would be available or accessible to us had it not been for your Son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that as we took communion today, would you fill up our hearts, would you fill up our minds, would you fill up our souls with your love and your grace once again, Lord, so that we might be utterly and completely satisfied in your Son, Jesus Christ. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you grace. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.
5: Thank you for worshiping with us today. If you have been convicted by today's message and want to take the next steps in your faith, text Baptism to 94090 and one of our pastors would love to walk with you. Additionally, please share our service. We're always looking to make heaven bigger. And one of the ways that you can help us with that is by sharing the service today. Lastly, stay connected with us by following us on Instagram. We post highlights and updates about uh, what's going on at our church and even stories about members of our church. So we'd love for you to follow us. Thank you for joining us today. And I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. And we'll see you next week.
6: I believe sometimes my doubts do get the best of me yeah. These days I struggle to trust like I should Still I know where y'all were I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow in his hands. Why would I worry? Lord, you are the great I am. I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know